When studios release a game that fails to live up to expectations, or when a long-awaited sequel never arrives, it sometimes inspires the fan community to create or recreate the game themselves. And there's many examples of unauthorised, fan-made games that draw from popular titles like GoldenEye and Pokemon. The problem, though, is when the lawyers come knocking. I started getting notifications about the hosting files being not available anymore. So, yeah, my first conclusion was there must be a nice chunk of automated processes that might find something suspicious about these files or someone might be uh, reporting them. So maybe this is triggering false positives or on some kind of process regarding copyright. This is Milton Guasti, and he'd been working on his own fan creation for 10 years. But when he'd finally completed his game and released it online, he soon ran into trouble. Initially, he couldn't work out how his game had been flagged, suspecting that there must be some kind of automation involved. And then an email arrives in his inbox from Nintendo. And after some time, I did receive on my email a DMCA takedown, pretty much saying that I should not distribute or develop the game anymore. A DMCA takedown, that's the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, was always a real possibility. And Milton certainly wasn't the first creator to receive one for a fan-made video game. But he never expected his hobby project, a remake of Metroid 2, would become the game that an entire community was counting on. I'm James Parkinson from Lawson Media. This is Gameplay, stories about video games and the virtual worlds that power culture and community. Milton Guasti is from Argentina, and growing up in the late 80s and early 90s, getting hold of the latest games and the big consoles was expensive, so Milton would often rent games or play at friends' places. Cheap imports and clones were also really common. Lots of imports, lots of uh, Japanese uh, clone consoles, and by the time the Mega Drive and the SNES became popular, yes, the imports from the US were a lot more common. And uh, yes, you get your you you, t- you still get your fair share of uh, clone cartridges, um, but uh, yes, by that time the early nineties, um, it was a lot easier to actually get games. But uh, yes, it was whatever was more popular and cheap to actually get as an importer back then. This meant Milton missed out on some pretty influential games like the Metroid series, which was groundbreaking for its time. The original Metroid, I didn't stumble upon that. Uh, all I was uh, stumbling upon, uh, you know, the, the bigger titles that you got to experience here was uh, Super Mario 3. Battletoads. Maybe it was just my luck, but I, I, I never saw Metroid uh, until pretty late. And I did discover it just by trying out ROMs for emulation, you know. By the mid-90s, console emulators for PCs were starting to appear, and people could discover or rediscover some of the most popular games from the early console era. 
The original Metroid debuted on the Famicom in 1986, but it was 1994's Super Metroid that Milton discovered first at a friend's house, which was kind of an odd introduction to the series, being its third instalment published for the Super NES. And by this time, um, the SNES was pretty much in its uh, final days. Super Metro is not that kind of game that gives a very um, interesting first impression if you are actually playing it at a friend's uh, place. So I did try it out, I felt it very floaty. And compared to other games in the same uh, platform, the artwork was kind of repetitive. You know, the tiles were repeating very, very frequently and it was not pleasant to see, you know. Part of it is uh, the atmosphere that the game creates for the player, but uh, on a first impression, uh, trying to you know play it like if it was an action game like Contra or something like that, um, it wasn't. Uh, it, it, it didn't catch my attention that much. Uh, eventually, I started hearing uh, how legendary Super Metroid was, how well designed it is, uh, how awesome of an experience it is, and I did give it a proper try with an emulator and I did give it the time it deserved. And playing it from start to finish, giving it the time it deserves, and uh, slowly getting acquainted with the controls, um, making mental notes of uh, the places I uh, already visited and where I need to go next, that's the proper way of experiencing the game. And uh, getting into that mindset and enjoying the game that way, uh, yes, that was super eye-opening. Milton fell in love with the world of Metroid, and naturally went back to play those two previous titles as well. And like a lot of fans, he found that Metroid 2, Return of Samus, didn't reach the same benchmark. Unlike the first and third entries in the series, Metroid 2 was developed for the Game Boy, and simply couldn't match the experience of its console counterparts, and it's long been regarded as a misstep by the Metroid fanbase. It was kind of like the black sheep. It's kind of difficult to live up to the excellence of Super Metroid, even if uh, most of the, you know, this legendary status of Super Metroid is a little bit exaggerated. It's a very good game. It's uh, it's a tiny little bit of a masterpiece, um, and having to live up to that is uh, yeah, it's kind of unfair. Uh, Metroid 2 was excellent for the time it was released on. It's a very nice portable game that you can pick up, and uh, since the structure is fairly linear, with some branches that you can actually explore for side contents, it's fairly easy to memorize. Thing is, it had room for improvements. Metroid 2 wasn't a terrible game, but it fell short of what a lot of fans wanted out of a sequel. Part of the frustration was there were so few entries in the series, especially compared to other Nintendo franchises like Mario and Zelda. There were seven years between the two home console releases of the original game and Super Metroid, so the monochrome Metroid 2 for the Game Boy was always seen as somewhat inferior, and multiple fans over the years have attempted to recreate it. By the time Milton had decided to work on his own version, he was following in their footsteps, calling it Project AM2R, another Metroid 2 remake. Recreating a classic Nintendo game from scratch is a challenge in itself, and Milton wasn't a programmer. He was teaching himself and learning as he went using a program called Game Maker. Game Maker is very easy to learn. 
there is a very user-friendly drag-and-drop interface that lets you implement uh, game logic very intuitively. And uh, by using that, I made a couple of uh, small prototypes. I made a, a, a brand new, uh, an entire game uh, from scratch through the course of a couple of months. And uh, yeah, the thing is, I slowly started transitioning from the drag-and-drop interface into code because some things were beyond the limitations of the system. And eventually, I wanted to do something a little bit more ambitious. I figured out that uh, by taking something that was already designed, I would actually focus myself on implementing that um, directly and learning the rest of the tools I needed to actually make a proper game. Milton started the project around 2005. At first, he thought he'd complete it within a few months, but the more he worked on it and the more he learned about game development, the more involved it became. I wasn't taking it that seriously because at that time, I wasn't very aware of how deep the design elements of Metroid were. For me, back then, it was just a random action game. And uh, yeah, the, the atmosphere is a little bit depressing, but that's it. And uh, it didn't feel... I wasn't aware of the, all the nuances, all the masterfully crafted levels that guide the players without them uh, realizing. And uh, being able to actually experience the um, Metroid games from the perspective of a game developer and not just a casual player is a very different way of uh, playing. You know, it's uh, it's like uh, being a music producer or a musician and suddenly you perceive music in a different way. You see what makes it work. So having to put myself in the shoes of a game producer, it made me appreciate the overall uh, Metroid style a lot more. So when I did replay eventually uh, Super Metroid and Zero Mission and Fusion with that kind of perception, then I started to realize this is not as simple as it looks. Metroid Fusion and Metroid Zero Mission were published for the Game Boy Advance in 2002 and 2004 respectfully, and gave Milton a good idea for what an updated Metroid 2 should look and play like. Luckily, the Level design quality of uh, most of the games in the series is excellent. It's a very good uh, reference point for uh, learning how to level design. And um, yeah, I just uh, picked it apart and uh, see how it worked. Starting from the basic mechanic and trying to replicate that. And uh, yeah, trying to make environments that more or less have the same function as the original games. Despite the complexity of the project, Milton was able to fit it in around his life. He ran his own business as an audio engineer by day, so he'd work on the game on the side and in between jobs. The thing is, I did manage that uh, on my free time. Back then, I was uh, working at uh, my recording studio with a partner. And uh, on any dead time that there were no customers, I opened up GameMaker and... uh, I started doing whatever task I was doing the last time. And uh, I used a pre-made platforming engine that a very skilled programmer had already done and uh, trying to figure out how that works and how to extend that so I can actually add Metroid-related abilities to the engine. That was a pretty huge challenge. That, that process served to see how a proper programmer tackles specific problems 
So whatever I would need to implement for myself, I could use that as a reference on how real programmers uh, solve that kind of situations. So yes, lots of uh, trial and error observation, trying to replicate uh, the original games as closely as possible. I used to record footage from Zero Mission and Fusion using emulators and uh, screenshot every frame of uh, specific actions just to see how many frames they would advance in every interval and try to replicate that in the engine. So yes, emulation and these kind of tools were super, super useful into figuring out why the games uh, by Nintendo do feel like that, how they do respond to the user input and how uh, the protagonist and all the objects in this uh, in this gameplay element are actually interacting with themselves and the physics and all of that. It was a very meticulous process, but I did have a lot of fun doing that. Then some big life changes meant Milton had to stop working on AN2R for about nine months. His business partner went through a divorce, leaving Milton to run the recording studio on his own before he could no longer sustain it and had to close it down. So he moved on, dedicating all of his time to starting a brand new studio, which included months of renovations. Eventually, Milton returned to the game, deciding to go public and announcing AM2R on his blog. On January 3rd, 2008, he posted his first entry, quote, This is a project I've been working on for over two years, and now I feel it can be finished. Even at that point though, the game was far from done. But Milton was about to begin releasing demos. At first it was... uh this uh, feeling of of excitement. I can't wait to share this with people. Uh, Suddenly it became uh, horrifying because uh, of course stuff broke at the last minute and as soon as I uploaded it, uh, someone finds a game breaking bug and they cannot go past the title screen. So I need to recompile everything, find the bug, reproduce it, fix it, patch it, uh, compile it again, zip it and redistribute it on all the platforms again to actually trying to, you know, having that bug to affect as few people as possible, then redeploy it and make a new blog post uh, saying, yo guys, sorry, this was broken, try this build uh, instead. That kind of thing is, uh, yeah, it was, it it certainly was a teaching moment that uh, encouraged me to playtest a lot more. The response from the Metroid fan community was overwhelmingly positive, with feedback and suggestions for improvements. The Metro community, are, uh, it's, it's made of very, very passionate people. And uh, sometimes they are very vocal on the stuff that they don't like about uh, the, the, the series. I had to be pretty careful about uh, choosing the kind of feedback to follow. And uh, having people recognize the suggestions show up in the newer demos, that's super amazing. It's really, really fulfilling. Um, people have been always super nice. Whenever I did have trouble having any tangible progress to share with the with the community, they were super understanding. I was super afraid to actually post whenever I wasn't able to make good progress in a, in an entire month. And posting that there was no no progress and seeing all the comments, just uh, supporting this and understanding that uh, life is a thing. Uh, yeah, it's it's super super awesome getting feedback on 
uh, demos that I did release through the time and seeing how enthusiastic and uh, excited some people are regarding the game and uh, looking forward to, to play it, giving feedback, uh, suggestions, comments. That's super awesome. It's very motivating. And uh, yeah, part of me didn't want to disappoint those people. And yeah, it was it was nice to you know have some recognition on all the hard work that was put into, into the project. Some fans even offered to help Milton with various aspects of the game, like artwork, volunteering their time and skills to make AM2R as polished as possible. I didn't scout for anything. I didn't go out of my way to look for artists or whatever. I didn't post in any forums that I was looking for um, sprite artists or whatever. People just showed up. They showed me some piece of artwork that they worked on. And uh, from then on, I did my best to describe what my vision was, provide some examples of sprite works that uh, showed the style that I was uh, aiming for. And uh, yeah, for the most part, most of the artists were able to actually fit into that particular art style. For this kind of project, that was just a free time of a couple of individuals. Uh, once I did uh, um, a nice description of the technical specifications, the art style, and some examples. I could just uh, give that to other artists to have as a reference, along with the stuff that was already uh, being produced for the game. So every time I had more material to showcase and to try to convey what the vision was, and uh, it became a little bit easier every time. But again, this took place uh, in a span of years. As development slowly progressed, more life changes for Milton stretched the timeline further as he transitioned away from the recording studio and into a more stable day job. Eventually, I had to close down that studio again after a couple of more years. I had to transition uh, into a normal office job. By the final days of my latest recording studio, I pretty much found out that I was going to be a father. And uh, suddenly my perspective for the future shifted a little bit. Suddenly I couldn't have these uh, unpredictable work seasons. So yes, a very good friend of mine helped me out uh, getting a job on his programming team. And I was able to transition pretty easily from what I had learned so far about the game maker language into C Sharp. The syntax is pretty much the same. There were a couple of things that uh, were a little bit more strict uh, about the language itself. But uh, yes, I was actually able to work in parallel for about a year in both the recording studio, the day job, and uh, also a little bit of N2R before I totally collapsed uh, every night, pretty much. So yeah, it was a pretty intense year. Um, day job, then going to the recording studio from 6 p.m. to midnight, going to my home, trying to be a father figure for uh, a couple of minutes, uh, try to get some work done on M2R and then repeat that the next day. With all the ups and downs and setbacks over the years, Milton could have abandoned the project many times, but it was the community's support and their desire to see the game completed that kept him going. And that strong relationship with Metroid fans would pay off as AM2R neared completion. That's coming up after the break.
One of the things I'm most proud of about Gameplay is the wonderful community of listeners that's formed around the show. I love hearing directly from people like you on social media or email and reading all the great reviews on Apple Podcasts. But I also love hanging out and talking games on the Gameplay Discord. It's a friendly and welcoming space and it's open to everyone. So come and join us, head to gameplay.co and click on join our Discord. See you there. After years of working away on another Metroid 2 remake bit by bit, Milton Guasti was almost done with the project. Almost. As you got to kind of the latter stages of development and you could see the project was, you know, nearing completion, how did you feel? How did that kind of excitement build knowing that you're, you're so close to, to getting it done? The closer you are to completion, the more complicated it gets to actually polish it and make it look and feel good. It's so weird. The last uh, year of production, it was focused on a couple of areas and uh, the final boss, and that's it. But getting into that level of polish and uh, figuring out how to put it all together, getting rid of all the bugs, that was oh, that was super, super tedious. The last 10% is uh, it's super, super, super tedious to work on. You see the, the, the end goal so close and yet so far, Sometimes it's kind of demotivating, but yes, then again, you turn into the community and all their support, and yeah, it's super, super encouraging. And the thing is, I I was very aware of every demo release I did. It was going to be revealing a chunk of the game that people haven't seen or heard of yet. So every release that I did have on the blog, it was like a little bit of a surprise for every every fan. The AM2R blog is like this time capsule that documents the development process step by step as Milton updates Metroid fans on the game's progress over months and years. And reading through it with hindsight is an interesting journey. There's several posts in 2008 where Milton says he hopes the game will be finished by the end of that year. Little did he know that he'd still be working on it eight years later. But on the 6th of July 2016, Milton published a blog post with the heading The Last Stretch. It included a countdown timer with the target date of August 6th, the 30th anniversary of the original Metroid. And it simply read, I know we'll make it in time, see you then. In the meantime, Milton had been approached by the fansite Metroid database. Like so many fans, they'd been following AM2R's progress for years and offered to host the game on their server. The people of Metroid database are super, super, super chill, super awesome. Uh, Got an email. Uh, yo, what did you host the file for you? Okay. And that was it. <laughs> it was very straightforward. Uh, very awesome people. They did curse at me a little bit because of the insane amount of traffic that the game suddenly broke to their servers from one moment to the other. But uh, yeah, they are super, super awesome. They are very, very, very important for the for the entire community. After a decade of development, AM2R was finally released on the 6th of August, 2016. The launch was covered in outlets like Kotaku, and the Metroid fan community were rewarded for their patience. But the following day, Metroid Database received an email from their web host, requesting the game file to be taken down, saying they were issued a DMCA notice from a law firm representing Nintendo. 
Metro Database immediately removed the files, and on August 9, Milton posted to the blog addressing the takedown. He urged fans not to be angry at Nintendo for just protecting their IP, and that he'd continue to work on updates to the game. Obviously, the news was disappointing, but overall, Milton was content, writing, quote, For a brief time, players enjoyed the game they were expecting for a long time. Artistically speaking, I'm satisfied. At first, it was excitement. You know, getting to actually see people actually playing this. I did enjoy a lot being, seeing people stream the game for the first time, uh, being surprised by the jump scares, facing the, the bosses. Uh, it was really, really awesome to see, you know, the, the joy, the reactions, to see they did put the same amount of care and passion and investment that they did put uh, in the official games in the franchise when they actually play. It was really awesome. After the Metroid database takedown, there was still some hope for fans that Milton would continue to iron out bugs and somehow provide those updates to players. But the final blow eventually came when Milton received the DMCA notice in his personal email. All remaining files hosted through his site had to be taken offline, and he was forced to stop working on the game entirely. On September 2nd, he posted the bad news on his blog under the heading No Future for AM2R, and thanked his fans for their support. And uh, yeah, that was the end of that phase. At that particular moment, it was a mixture of um, sadness and uh, disappointment, you know, not being able to finish all the things that I wanted to add to the game, but also a little bit of relief. At some point, I was kind of burning out on the on the project, and suddenly being forced to move on it was something that was. Uh, it, it felt like an incomplete chapter, like I didn't I didn't have the closure I wanted. But then again, life sometimes uh, finds a way to actually push you into a direction where eventually good things are going to happen, even if you don't see them immediately. And good things were about to happen for Milton. Following the end of AM2R, he'd committed to learning programs like Unity and was exploring ways he could create his own original Metroidvania-style game. Then one day, an email appeared in his inbox. It was from Moon Studios, creators of Ori and the Blind Forest, and they were in the middle of developing their sequel, Ori and the Will of the Wisps. They were in need of a level designer and invited Milton to apply for the position. As part of the process, he'd have to design a level for Ori. Certainly, it was something that I was not expecting at all. So I did have a couple of weeks to come up with a level. Um, I would have to explain how the level would work, and I would need to pretty much introduce uh, a mechanic from Blind Forest and, uh, yeah, try to teach it to the player through level design. The Ori level design philosophy is pretty different to Metroid, uh, mostly because there is a lot of organic shapes going on, and uh, when I did replay the game to actually get a feel of what the spaces look like, how the character moves, how high he can jump, how farther he can jump, um, what's the distance that can be covered with the double jump and other abilities, while trying to analyze all of that, uh, yes, it felt very, very different. But again, the same core principles do apply anyway. We do have the same tools to show the player and try to make things memorable and try to nudge them to do certain certain things, hopefully making them uh, learn a thing or two on the way. So yes, luckily it was very well received and uh, yeah, that's pretty much uh, got me a job. 
12 months after he declared the end of AM2R, Milton posted to the blog announcing his new position as a level designer at Moon Studios. Was that an easy decision for you to, to join Moon Studios and, and to like say, okay, now I'm actually going to work in this industry? Um, at that time, it felt like a gamble. And I'm not a gambling man. So I had to meditate a lot. I had to put all the pros and cons on the table. And uh, at some point, um, you know, my, the, the people around me, my loved ones, they were very supportive. And uh, after all, this is, uh, this is a passion that I want to chase. This is a very, um, this is a, 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 left, a once in a lifetime opportunity. And um, I suddenly found myself working along with some very crazy, talented people. As Milton was entering the video game industry and working on one of the most acclaimed indie series, Nintendo eventually released the official remake of Metroid 2 for 3DS on September 15, 2017. Metroid Samus Returns. Milton's last update on the AM2R blog came a couple of weeks later, sharing his thoughts on Nintendo's version of the game that he'd spent a decade of his life replicating. And while Nintendo's vision was different to his own, Milton could appreciate the incredible work that had gone into recreating a classic. As you reflect on this incredible journey that you've been on, you know, starting a project just out of a passion, now leading to, to working in the industry. What does that mean to you? If you ask me this same question three years ago when I started at Moon Studios, I would say that this was fulfilling my dream when I was uh, being just a toddler, holding an Atari cartridge and saying, someday I would like to do my very own video game. And that sounds like a like the ending of a story, like a closure of some long-lasting dream. If you ask that same question right now, that point was pretty much the beginning of a new chapter in my life. And uh, the uncertainty that comes forward with the endless possibilities that this industry um, can lead to is both uh, fascinating and terrifying at the same time, and I'm really enjoying the ride. Thanks so much to Milton Guasti for sharing his incredible story. This episode was inspired by articles from David Craddock and Patrick Klepek on Vice.com. There's a link to those in the episode description and on our website. The song you're hearing right now is a bonus track from the AM2R soundtrack. Yes, there's a complete soundtrack for the game. 41 songs composed by Milton Guasti. We have a link to download that as well. Gameplay is a production of Lawson Media. This episode was written and produced by me, James Parkinson. The gameplay theme was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. Our artwork is by Keegan Sanford and additional music from Breakmaster Cylinder. You can follow the show on Twitter and Facebook at Gameplay Podcast. We're also on YouTube and come and join our Discord where you can talk games with me and your fellow listeners. 
You'll find those links plus episode transcripts and further reading on our website, gameplay.co. Thanks for listening.